there was a popular photograph that was making its circles in the, uh, the photography world. And I think uh, what you have over here on the, why well, I guess so popular is on the one side you have, this is taken in Munich, Germany. This is St. Paul's Cathedral, uh, you know, architectural marvel. You know, very detailed in its craftsmanship. But also, the, when you would go to St. Paul's Cathedral, it just has this, this aura about it. that It is a, a place where people come with reverence. You come with very serious faces, solemn. It's like a library when you walk in. There's just this quiet stillness in this place. But going on right outside of St. Paul's Cathedral was the annual Oktoberfest. And there is a crowd of people, and they are laughing, and they are partying, and they're eating, and they're drinking, and they're riding amusement park rides, and just having this, this, this great time. And I think what made this popular, this photo so popular, was its stark juxtaposition of on one side you have these people who you can just imagine their faces, right? Riding this ride, just these smiles or maybe even things of terrified looks on their faces, but just this thrill going through their bodies as they're riding and experiencing this attraction next to this very serious and rigid and strong building, this structure. And I want to ask today, when you look at this picture, which of the two images just screams out to you joy? Because I think Jesus, if, we, if, we, if, if Jesus were here today, he would see how his church is perceived by so many people, and I think it would trouble him. The Bible talks about how Jesus came with grace and truth. But Jesus also came full of joy. That Jesus was, as we watch his life, as we walk through the footsteps through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we find Jesus many times at these festivals, these feasts, these parties, whether they're dinner parties or whether they are uh, wedding parties. And so much so that Jesus began to develop quite the reputation you know, many of you know the story from Luke 15 where Jesus tells three different stories. And the, the, the three things that are lost, you have the lost sheep, you have the lost coin, and you have the lost son. And all three stories have the same plot line, basically. There's, in all three stories, there is something valuable that is lost. In all three stories, there is something that it was lost, that the person who loses it, they don't stop searching for it. They never give up. Or in the case of the son and the father, the father never, never gives up on waiting and looking for his son to return home. In all three stories, that something that is lost is then found. And in all, all three stories, when that thing is, is found, there is a what? There's a party. There's a party. Now, what made Jesus decide to tell these stories? What, what, did, what was it that, that made him, prompted him to, to bust out in this trilogy of parables? I want to show you how Luke 15 began. It says this, By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. 
the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased. Not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinner and, and, and eats meals with them and treating them like old friends. And, and next Sunday, Chris Steele is going to be up here. He's going to be talking about Jesus is a wrecking ball. Because that's what Jesus is. Jesus takes the preconceived ideas about who God is for these religious leaders and Jesus just busts them up. It's one reason they could not stand Jesus. They couldn't understand why Jesus was at all these parties and hanging out with these undesirables. And what I love so much as I study the life of Jesus is the people who looked less like Jesus like Jesus. They thought he was fun. They thought he was kind. They thought he was encompassing. He, he would invite anyone to be around. They thought he was humble. Whenever they, whenever they would leave his presence, whenever they spent time with him, they felt so great about who they are. And Jesus loved to be at these parties because he knew that these people most of all, needed a touch from God. Listen, I don't know exactly what God is going to say to you during this series, Jesus is. But what I, but what I want personally is to, to, to know Jesus better so that I can be more like him today than I was yesterday. And that I can be more like him tomorrow than I am today. And I want that for you. But you need to be wrestling with that statement. How do you finish it? Jesus is what? Because what Jesus, this is the big idea for this series. This is why you need to wrestle with this. How, what you, what you say about him defines who you are. How you finish that thought defines who you are. And today we're going to talk about that Jesus is the life of the party. Could you imagine what it would be like if people said of you and of me and of, all, and of this church, what, if they were to say, you know, I, I just love being around him, her, or them, because they're just so kind, they're so fun, they're so welcoming. They don't, they're not judging. They just love like Jesus did. Whatever it is that they have, this joy in them, I want it too. And whenever Jesus was out hanging out intentionally with his followers, his disciples, they were the, the most raw, the most uneducated, the most undeserving, the most ordinary people that you could possibly think of. And Matthew was one of those guys. He was also called Levi at times. And I want you to look at how Luke records this event when Jesus met Matthew. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, again, Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, this was most likely not Matthew's first encounter with Jesus. He, maybe he heard Jesus teach before. Maybe he had witnessed one of his miracles. Maybe he just heard people buzzing all around town about 
these things that Jesus was doing and saying. And, and, and so whatever it was though, it made Matthew think about his current situation and a hope for something better in his life. So when Jesus all of a sudden comes over and says, hey, I want you to follow me, and he comes to his office and says, I want you to leave all this and come follow me, Matthew is ready at the drop of a hat to say, I'm in. And whenever you hear the word tax collector in the Bible, don't think H&R Block, right? Don't think McLean, Hill, Rugg, and Associates, right, here in town. Think about a tax collector being like an associate of like Tony Soprano, right? Or maybe the Godfather or something, because tax collectors were these thugs who were Jewish, but they were working for the, the oppressive Roman government, that they had turned their back on their own people to work for the Romans. Their job was to separate you from your hard-earned cash. They had to face some pretty tough situations, and the Jewish community, they viewed these tax collectors as the worst of the worst, the most notorious people, because they turned their back on the Jewish people, and are now following the Romans, and are earning their money, basically, on being traitors. But Jesus, he doesn't take this into consideration when choosing Matthew. All he sees is, you are a perfect candidate for me to change the world through. He didn't stumble on Matthew by accident. He intentionally chose him. And Matthew is so excited. He gets so excited that, that Jesus has found him, that he chooses him, that he's changed his life. What does Matthew first do? He throws a party. And he takes his own expense throws this big bash, and I'm not talking about a two-hour get-together where you play some euchre, you know, dip some chips, and, listen, and play some Michael W. Smith albums. We're talking like a crazy bash, and who does Matthew invite? Who does he know? Who's going to come to a party of a tax collector? Other tax collectors. Other thugs are going to come to this party. So picture this party. Jesus is hanging out with Matthew and his buds, along with the disciples. And at this time, it's probably like Peter and Andrew, James and John, maybe a few others, and then the thugs hanging out with Jesus. And then comes in the middle of this party, some party crashers. These ultra-religious Pharisees. They love doing this. They have a habit of doing this. Whenever Jesus is around and he is, he's bringing up the level of joy in the place, the, 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 the Pharisees come in and go, we need to keep it down. God is not going to like this very much. You know, they, they love doing that. And so, Matthew himself, he records this in the book of Matthew. It says in Matthew chapter 9, later, Matthew, or I, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Wouldn't you like to be in that room? But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And I love that these guys, they, didn't, they, they weren't brave enough to go ask Jesus face to face. They had to ask his disciples. But Jesus, he overhears. He knows what's going on. He pushes the pause button on the party. He walks over to the Pharisees and puts them in their place. 
This is what Jesus says to them. He goes, you know, healthy people don't need the doctor. Right? This is common sense. Sick people do. And he goes, I know you guys know all the Old Testament. You guys have that memorized. But here's a verse that I know you have memorized, but I want you to learn the meaning of it. He says, go and learn this. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. He's saying, you know, I see you guys in the temple all the time. You guys know the words to say. You guys know the actions to do. But here's the thing. I see through you, and your hearts are far from God. He goes, I have come to call not those who think that they're righteous. I have come for those who know that they're sinners. There was another time when the same group of Pharisees, the same group of party crashers comes in and, and Jesus has again talked to them. He says, you know, when, when John the Baptist was here, you guys were calling him crazy because all he was doing was fasting and fasting. You thought he was crazy. But now the son of man, I come and I'm eating and I'm drinking and I'm partying and you say I'm a glutton and a drunk. That I love hanging out with, with, with sinners. Here's the thing. I don't care what you say about me because these are the people that I left heaven to come to earth for. You know that story I mentioned earlier where the, the, the lost son and, and Jesus tells the story to, to showcase the heart of God, to break down our preconceived notions of who God is. And I want you to notice again the father's response when that son comes home. The father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I mean, as you study the life of Jesus, who Jesus is, you will see him time and time again talking to people saying, the kingdom of God is a party and everyone's invited. And I love that Matthew, the first thing that he does after Jesus changes his life, he says, you know what? We're having a party. My house, whoever wants to come, you're in. It's on me, my tab, let's go. And that's why we are a church that loves to throw parties. And one of our biggest parties of the year is coming up in a couple weeks because we're going to celebrate that Jesus is alive and we have our Easter egg hunt on the Saturday beforehand. And we know families are in our community looking for a place to go to, to, to celebrate, to have that fun. And we throw this party so that, not just to throw parties, but so that other people will come to know Jesus just like Matthew did. This is an all-hands-on-deck type of a, a party that we need help planning. Help throwing. And we need candy. Because you got to fill those eggs, right? And so we have right now about 5,000 pieces of candy. We're going for 18,000. So we need you to go out, and we need it. You need to go out and get some candy, some individually wrapped candy. Bring it in. You can drop it off there in the foyer. We need more candy for that event, for that party. And another thing, we need people. We need people to sign up, to volunteer, to be ready. Because here's the thing. How are they going to meet Jesus, the people who come to the, the Easter egg hunt? through us, by the way that we serve, by the way that we have the joy in our life and are looking out for them, making sure they're having a great time. I tell my boys every year, 
because Jeremy, our children's minister, he likes to get these golden eggs, right? And, and that's the thing that you really get to find. They're really rare out there in the fields. But if you find a golden egg, it gets a special prize. And I tell my boys, if you find that golden egg, you can't keep that. And they're like, what, why? Well, like, how would that look? I mean, the lead minister guy, get, you know, Jeremy's going, the golden egg is right over there. And I tell my kids, that's not gonna look real good. But I, I say, listen, here's what I want you to do. If you do find it, you can take that egg, look across that field and find someone you don't know and give it to them. And they're going, okay. Because not only will that make me happy and make me proud, but you are becoming more like Jesus in that way. And that's the attitude. If every single one of us have at the Easter egg hunt, we are going to help so many more people know who Jesus is so that when things happen in their life and they're looking for that joy that's in these people, man, they, I know the things that they're going through. I know that they have struggles in their life, but man, they've got this joy in them that we can show them Jesus. And we do this, these kind of parties a lot in our church. We do one in the fall. Last year, we had our Generosity Feeds event where we packed 30,000 meals for kids in our community who go hungry and all that. And that event, if you were here for that, it turned into a party. And that's the kind of life that God brings to us. He is the life of the party. But these parties shouldn't just be church events. We look at Matthew. We as God's people with Jesus' joy in our hearts, we should be opening up our homes, opening up our grills, opening up our hearts, and inviting our, our friends who don't know Christ so that they can know him as well. You, the earliest Christians, those who lived in the first century after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, that's what they were known for. One of the most common things that they were known for was how they just loved everybody, just like Jesus did. As a matter of fact, there was a Roman historian by the name of Aristides. And he gave a report to the Roman emperor of the day, and this is what he reported about these, these Christians. He writes, they do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do to another what they would not have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them. And in this way, they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good for their enemies. They live in this awareness of their smallness. Every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother. For they do not call one another brothers of the flesh, but they know that they are brothers in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all his needs. If anyone among them is poor or comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast two or three days for him, and in this way, they can supply any poor man with the food that he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians. And this is the manner of life. These early Christians, they knew how to open up their homes and open up their wallets and open up their dinner table, open up their hearts to those who were far from God. It's just what they did. And wouldn't it be amazing if that was the same reputation 
if the Times recorder did a story, said, let me tell you about what I have heard about these Christians. They just love everybody. You know, there are times to be solemn. There are times to be reverent. And when we study the the life of Jesus, you know the times I see Jesus doing that is when he steals away, when he escapes away, as Chris talked about last Sunday, as Jesus is an escape artist. He, I need to be away, be with God the Father, listen to him, hear from him, speak to him. We need that habit in our lives as well. But when we hear of marriages being restored, and when we hear of needs being met, when we hear about children at risk being cared for and their needs being met, when we hear about people who are unconnected and lonely and then connecting and finding friends and life in our life groups, our small groups, when we hear about people who are being baptized into Christ and 84 people 2015 coming to Christ, those are reasons we celebrate. We party because of those things. Listen, I love my home church growing up. My home church was Cambridge City Christian Church in Cambridge City, Indiana, a really small church there in Indiana. I love it to death. I actually got to be there last Sunday. Kind of a special surprise because actually my family and I were going to Indianapolis, Indiana for a funeral. A funeral for a very good friend of ours who was 49 years old and lost her battle to ovarian cancer. Three children she left behind and her husband who was a dear dear friend of mine. And those those moments are hard. I mean, how do you walk into one of those? But the thing about Danielle is because of the way she lived, she brought the party of Jesus with her wherever she went. And that was one of the things over and over and over again with the hundreds and hundreds of people who were at her celebration of life is what they called it, which is what it was. Because here's the thing, and I'm sitting there listening to her husband share the 50 reasons why he wanted to celebrate Danielle, and I'm going, we Christians, we just mourn in a different way. If we didn't have Jesus, if we didn't know about the party that was coming, that was going to last in eternity, and the party we can even experience down here on earth, I don't know how anybody goes through a day. But because of Jesus, even in the most hardest moments, like last Sunday, we can celebrate and party. That wasn't even the point of why I was mentioning this, so. Because last Sunday, I got to go to Cambridge City Christian Church, and while I, w- while I went there is because that night, we stood at my parents' house, who still live in that little town, and my dad goes, guess what? I'm actually preaching tomorrow at Cambridge City. I was like, you, you're what? You're, you're doing what? Because he was actually the lead minister there from 1980 to 85. He did a great job during those years, and he exited that ministry at 85. I was nine years old when he stopped being the, the, the full-time guy there, and he, it was 30 years he, he had not been, the, he'd not preached in that church since, even though he's lived in that town. It was a big deal. So I'm like, well, I I can't wait to go. My boys are there, my wife is there, and I'm watching my dad preach on the stage where I watched him preach many, many years. And and behind him is the baptistry. And that's where I was baptized at the age of nine. And all of a sudden I remembered about that. I forgot about this. And 
our church had this tradition. Because I had, I had grown up hearing about how baptism was a celebration, right? This moment where you're saying, I, I am going all in with Jesus. I'm, I'm going to be washed away. That's what they say in Cambridge City, Indiana. There's no R in the word washed, everyone. Uh, washed away. And your sins are clean. You're, 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 you're coming home to God. You found your way back home. People are celebrating. But this is how our church did it. Imagine this. They go under the water. They come up. The whole church starts to sing this very quiet very soft old hymn called Now I Belong to Jesus. So imagine, imagine this. Here they go under the water, they come back out, and here's what the church does in unison. Now he belongs to Jesus. Jesus belongs to him. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. As a night, no, don't clap. As a nine-year-old, that scared the death out of me. I gotta be honest. It's spooky. I mean, I like some of the old hymns a lot, but that one was just creepy how that was sung because here it is, it didn't match. They're saying, it's a celebration. It's this party going on in heaven and that's the song we're choosing on the playlist? What is that? I love here at North Terrace. We, we, we clap, we applaud, we cheer for our friends and our family when they see them coming home to God because there's another one more person who is coming home to God and there's a party going on in heaven and we are joining in on the party down here on earth. And we need to celebrate, everyone. When we come here on Sunday morning, even when there's hard stuff. Last Sunday was hard, but you know what? We still celebrate because God is doing good stuff in our lives, in our individual lives and in our, in our church as a whole and we celebrate him. When we sing, we sing with joy in our hearts. Do we look more like that? Do our faces when we sing, do we look like we're more on that amusement park ride or more like that church building? You know? When we give, do we give cheerfully like the Bible says or we give begrudgingly? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we take the cup and we take the bread and we reflect on the, the death of Jesus and the, the, the sacrifice that he made on Good Friday, are we still mourning the death of Jesus? Because we're not. Because we know that what followed the death of Jesus on Friday was a resurrection on Sunday and that he is alive. Listen, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite theologians of all time, this is what he says. He says, it is the devil's business. Wake that up real quick. It's the devil's business to keep Christians mourning and weeping with pity beside the cross instead of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. When will the Christian church rise up, depend on his promise and power, and get on the offensive for the risen and ascended Savior? The devil's business to keep people weeping and mourning and in pity. Jesus' business, this is what Jesus said he came to do. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy and that joy is gonna overflow and when things overflow, they get on everybody. And he says, love each other. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. In Luke 14, 
guess where Jesus was? Another party. He's partying again, and, and there he turns to a host of the party, and this is what he tells them. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they're going to invite you back to their party. Because that's how it works, right? And you're, you're, you get invited to a party, you're like, Man, it's going to be fun, but now i got to throw a party and invite them. You know, or, or now they got me something, now i got to go get them. Jesus says, don't, don't do that. When you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed. Because although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the, of, the, of the righteous. He says, don't leave anyone out. Let your invite list be long. He says, because there's broken people, and lonely people, people far from God who would do anything for that invitation to the party. And I want to give you two indicators, two characteristics, and you can write these in your notes, of this is how you know you're around a party-throwing th person or a party-throwing church. Number one is great party-throwers live lives that lead to curiosity. Think about Matthew. First thing he does is he opens up his wallet, throws up this huge party for his friends so that they can come to know Jesus. What do you think that they said to him? What has gotten into you, man? You used to be out there taking taxes like we do, and then we'd get together in the evening and we'd talk about how you stole from that person and I stole from this person and what we were going to do with the money, but now you're not even around. All you're doing is hanging out with that rabbi and those dudes that smell like fish. What is going on with you? I, lo I love Facebook. I love Facebook because uh, I see people saying the same thing about many of you. It's kind of fun to watch, especially for those of you who are like six months into North Terrace and in, in, in newer, because you're out there writing your Jesuses and taking your picture, and I see posts that you guys post sometimes during the week, and you're saying what God is doing in your life, and then you're living it out with your friends, and they're going, what is up with that? What, you, you are so different than, you've got this joy in you that I've not seen before, and whatever you have, I want it, and you're going, come and see come and see. This is what I want you to do. Just come and see. You're being that Matthew, that Matthew party, living your life out loud so people will know Jesus. Because here's the case. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus doesn't just happen to me. It happens through me. It happens through you. That's one indication of a party-throwing person is that, man, they're, they're, they live a life that leads to curiosity. People want to know what is up, what's going on. Here's a second indication. Great party-throwing churches are full of people who are extravagantly generous. Again, like Matthew. Throughout this party, for his friends, the dime was on him. He took care of the party. So his friends would come know Jesus. Jesus says, I want my people to be generous because God the Father, he is generous to us. We reflect the image of God when we are generous. And listen, that's not always been who I am. God has had to do a lot of work on me. In that, in that area. And he's still, he's still doing work there. But here was the turning point for me. When I realized that over here is God and all of his riches, and over here is the world and all of its needs. And what stands in between of those two things is me and you. And we have a question that we have to answer. Are we going to be a conduit 
between the blessings of God or do they end with us? We don't sit around being blessed so we can be more blessed. We, we want to be a conduit and pass that blessing on to others to help others. And we are a blessed church. We are a blessed people. That's what generosity is all about. And here's something I need to tell those of you who are new to this church. I want to tell you about the people that you are surrounded by right now in this room. They love to give. We have a very generous church here. Some of these people, they give 10% of their income so that more people in this community and around this world can know Jesus. They're building churches, they're building schools, they're helping kids be fed. They're reaching out in so many ways with the resources that God has given them to be that conduit to this world. That's the kind of church that you're in. And that's the church we're gonna continue to be. But here's the thing, extravagant generosity stands out in a stingy world. And that is true. Best example I could think of, didn't take long for me to think about it, was Christmas Eve. When those two pizza guys came forward and our church gave them over $1,000 each and they left here with the biggest tip they'd ever seen and a mind blown. And what was really, really fun was to watch how that stood out in a stingy world as people all around our community and even beyond our community were saying, wow, that was amazing. Look what, what God did through them. Later, a few weeks after that, I was at the Muskingum County Business Incubator for their Shark Tub event. And I was walking around and this guy walks up to me and goes, hey, you're that guy. (laughs) I love that one. Yes, I am that guy. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, you go to that church. I went to Christmas Eve. I grew up, you know, I grew up Catholic and, you know, I did, I never really got much out of that. And I haven't been in years. And so I drew, my my girlfriend drug me to the Christmas Eve service that night. And I went for her. But when I saw what happened with those pizza guys, I said, that's what a church should be. And I said, you're right. Because generosity stands out in a stingy world. Listen, we aren't Christians who sit around mourning because Jesus died 2,000 years ago. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus who go on the offensive because Jesus is alive. And Jesus told his followers, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to go prepare a party. It's going to be an epic party. It's going to last for eternity. And I I want everyone to be invited. And now we have the invitation on our hands that we have to respond to that invitation. Today, you have to RSVP. Today in your your Bible or in your program, you should have an invitation. Looks like this. And I don't know where you're at with God, how you would finish that statement. Jesus is what? If you want to respond RSVP for this party, you need to know the next steps to follow Jesus. The first one stands for R, is for realize your need. Jesus said this, he said to those Pharisees, I came not for those who think that they're righteous, I came for those who know that they're sinners. And I wonder today, do you know that about you? The Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know that without Jesus, you are headed for a Christless eternity and a life less lived? He wants you to have a full life in, this, in, in, in your time on earth and a party in heaven waiting for you. Do you realize that? Do you realize without Jesus that you are, you are lost, you without sin, you have sin? 
S stands for say you're sorry. The word would be repent. It means this. You're heading in the wrong direction. You're going this way. You're walking away from God. You stop. You realize your need. You real, and you turn around and you head towards God. You say you're sorry for the sin in your life and you turn your life over to him. And as Jesus told about the father and the son, as soon as the son went home, the father goes, you're forgiven. Party's here. Let's get that thing going. V stands for verbalize your trust. Some of you have verbalized your trust on, your, on these signs over here. We, we verbalize our trust when a person comes to Christ and we ask them to repeat the good confession. But that's just words. Because we also verbalize our trust by our life, don't we? With Jesus, with the joy of Jesus now in our lives, are we generous? Are we joyful? Are we allowing the good news of Jesus not just happen to us, but through us? Do people look at your life and go, what is it about you? You've got this joy. What do you have? And then P, to finish it off, plunge your past. And that's baptism. It's a decision where you say, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm holding nothing back. The old life is gone. The new life is here. And I want all to know. Jesus commanded us to be baptized, to, to follow him in the waters of, of, of baptism. If you can't follow him there, how do you expect to follow him anywhere else in, in your life? And then for some of you, you look at this invitation and you go, yeah, check, 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 check. I've done all these things. I am, I, I, I'm, I've RSVP'd for the party. I'm ready to go. Well, guess what? Now it's our turn. It's our privilege to pass out as many invitations as we can to as many people possible because our long list of invites is getting longer and the time is getting short. So this time, we're going to say, it's time to make a decision. We're going to sing a a decision song and we're going to up the tempo a little bit for our decision song because Jesus is the life of the party. If you want to respond to him today by coming forward, you can. If you want to respond by writing on your connection card and saying, I want to do this, but I'm a little terrified to come forward or whatever, we'll call you this week and we'll set up a private conversation for you. We'd like you to stand right now, though, and make your decision for him today to respond to that party that's waiting for you in heaven.